How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, welcome to the Disruptive CEO Nation podcast. As you guessed, I am not your host, Allison K. Summers. Allison is on the other side of the microphone this particular episode. Uh, my name is Bruce Corris. I'm Allison's publisher. My company, BMD Publishing, has been with her for the many years she's been doing this podcast. And the reason we are flipping around today is because this is episode number 200. Holy cow, 200 podcast episodes. Um, and we thought it would be nice to just turn things around a little bit and let's let you guys hear from Allison and talk about uh, what she's been doing and what she's gotten out of the podcast and all of that. So Allison K. Summers, welcome to the Disruptive CEO Nation podcast. I love that. Welcome to my own podcast. <laughs> How cool is that? So let's start with a little bit about the background. Talk about Allison K. Summers, the Chicago kid growing up and what that was like. I'm from Chicago. It absolutely comes through in the accent. Can't seem to shake that no matter where I travel to. Huh. Born and bred in Chicago. And when I always think of my childhood, I, I think of the, the couple years when my father came back from Vietnam and he was a barber supporting a wife and two small children. And we had absolutely nothing. And but you had love. You had a lot of, of fun and, and love. And I, I say, we drank powdered milk, had meat once a week or whatever it is that we could afford. I think those things, they form you and they make you want more in life and learn responsibility to, to get more. Fast forward, I've lived in other places, traveled the world, but I still live outside of Chicago. I love this city. So when you, when you went off to college, which in your family was a big deal, your parents were not college educated. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you did go to college in your family was a big deal. You were given the advice that many young women of that age were given. In fact, I just heard um, an interview the other night with Luke Russert. He was talking about his new book and his mother, a very accomplished journalist who traveled the world. When she went off to college, her family said, well, you can be a nurse or you can be a teacher. Yep, and that's, that's kind of the advice you were given. But you didn't do that, at least not right away. So well, I did, but I did. My sister and I were a first generation four-year college students. We both graduated. And it was hard because you didn't know. We have this thing, if you are from an underprivileged life, and it doesn't matter if you're a woman, it's just if you have an underprivileged life, it's difficult to be what you haven't seen or haven't had exposure to. So you're right, very traditional kind of models. And I got a degree in professional education and taught school for a few years, but it, it just never felt like my right 
proper home. I absolutely love everything I learned about being an educator and having that mindset of pulling people through and getting them to do their best. But teaching in the classroom just wasn't it for me. And I joke and say her. However, training to work with six-year-olds was very good training for working with all of the people and human beings I have worked with over the years. I'm sure. So you moved into the business world and started doing stuff. I know you saw the guys with the corner office and said, well, why do they have that? And you were boots on the ground. And I know you did trade shows and all this other stuff. But eventually you work with people all over the world. And from this kid from, from Chicago, you travel the world and have been to all these places. So how did the whole global thing become your focus? Wow. There's, there's so much there. I think that you are correct. So go back to early business and, um, I knew nothing and I didn't feel that I knew nothing because I was a woman. I felt like I knew nothing because I had grown up in a very blue collar environment and didn't really know what business was. And I would look at those men who'd bring their golf clubs to work and leave and go wine and dine clients. And they had offices with windows. And I'm, and I would think whatever they know, I need to know. I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't angry at anybody. I was just so curious and so hungry to learn. And one day somebody came in through the office. It was the trade show business. And we, particularly the automotive market, and somebody came in and there was something that was missing that needed to get to an auto show in, I think, the UK. And they came through the office of all of us that worked in event services and the engineers on floor plans. And they were like, who has a passport? We need to put you on the plane now to take this box direct to London. And I'm sitting there going, I don't have a passport, but if I had had a passport, I would be able to raise my hand for this business opportunity. And so this concept of being open and ready for the opportunity when it presents itself really was ingrained in, in my brain. I think the love for the world and the global aspect is also comes from my grandmother who used to travel a lot and who used to give me dolls every time I saw her. She lived in the city of Chicago and she would bring me dolls from Greek town or she would bring me a doll from Chinatown. Um, and I would have those all up on the shelf looking at all the different culture and clothes and things and just have this desire for a life less ordinary. I worked with a lot of international clients coming inbound to the US, but it wasn't until I started working for the Society of Incentive and Travel Executives that I really took off getting my stamps in the passport, miles on my airline accounts, and really got to explore the world. So to your point, fast forward, I've been to over 35 countries. I've spoken, produced education events, business conferences, and 30 of them. And I just have such a passion for a global view. I always say and on my podcast, your next business partner can be in the most surprising locations. It does not have to be where you live or where you operate. And the teaching thing still comes through because that's, in a way, that's really what you're doing with, with your business clients is, you know, you're, you're helping them grow, but by doing so, you're sharing not just your own knowledge and not just your own experience, but the experience of all these other successful CEOs that, that you've worked with, that you've met, that you've talked to along the way. And it's a very global pot, I guess, yeah. to dip into. 
And the teaching thing that you started out doing, you're really still doing today. It always served me well in, in business. I was always willing to raise my hand to do the internal training programs, to work with new employees. Again, this concept, which I think a lot of business leaders miss, is you've got to love your team to success. And when I was when I was first training to be a teacher, we'd go out into rural Oklahoma because I went to college in Tulsa. And you would have to feed the kids, wash the kids, take care of them before you could even teach them a single thing. You just had to get them ready to even receive the messages that you wanted to give them. And there's truth in that with your employees and with your teams. And then the other thing is we used to say to this one teacher, I don't like a lot of these kids. And this teacher would be like, you don't have to like a student to love a student. And that's also, I think, a really big business practice I've taken with me. I don't have to like all my employees, to love them to success, to get them what they need and to get them moved forward. And to your point, Bruce, doing this podcast and talking to all of these individuals from all over the world, because it's not just the interview. There's a lot behind the scenes that people don't see. I read any guest I've had on this show. I've read their LinkedIn profile. I've read their bio. I've read their corporate website. I've studied up on their business. I've read articles that maybe they've appeared in in TechCrunch or in Business Insider. And so you're not just doing this 25-minute sprint in interview. You're reading all of these things. And culturally, they all approach, there's fundamentals to business is business, but you can learn so much about people's mindset and approach to problem solving by all these lovely conversations I've had that opportunity to have over the years. Speaking of the interviews that you've done, blatant plug, <laughs> I published Allison's book, Building Your Brand, about um, the subtitle, uh, Make Business Happen in a Global Economy, that features interviews from a number of the earlier podcast episodes. But let's talk about the podcast itself, because this is the 200th episode. So talk about the interviews you've done over the years. Were there, what were the big surprises along the way, whether it was talking to someone who had done something truly unique or, or overcame a, an interesting challenge or built a really different and cool business and your dog behind you is interested as well. She, she um, listens to all the podcast recordings. She's, she's a very well-educated and well-informed dog. So talk a little bit about the, the interviews that you've done and the stories you've heard because- Another blatant plug. The very first words in this book are, I love a good business story. That's how Allison I do. And that's your life. That's your career. So talk to me about the really good business stories that you've heard over these last 199 episodes. Well, I have to give a shout out uh, to Kurt Euler because he was my very first guest. And I just want to tell people all the time. If you know something in your heart that you need to do or a place you need to go, but don't have all of the steps or all of the things, figure it out. Because if you go back and look at some of our first episodes that we did, and I'm still proud of them, but we just didn't have our machine figured out yet. And I have to thank Kurt for the willingness to be my first guest because he was such a remarkable business person. I had no branding, no pot, you know, like nothing for him to look at or see. And he was willing to, to be a guest. And so I can still remember it with such clarity, how nervous I was interviewing him. And also this concept of me deciding that I wanted to focus primarily on 
founding CEOs as the core of who I wanted to speak with. I also speak with CEOs who are just doing interesting things and uh, and thought leaders. And if you listen to this podcast, well, I love the topic of marketing and branding. But Kurt just he he came and he was so gracious. And so I I think from there have been so many great stories of people doing things. But two hundred, I start to forget the names, but I remember the countries and I remember the story. And so uh, my guest who was from um, Saudi Arabia, she was transforming using AI and machine learning to transform um, the way that they could rapidly translate educational documents and research documents and scientific documents from English and other languages into Arabic to open the door of the way the world could understand because that was her vision bridging the gap of under cultural understanding and just so many people I've talked to people in med tech and femtech in doing things with drones doing things with uh blockchain and AI and I I think that I I laugh Bruce because things that were novel 5 years ago when I started this I'm like, oh, that's not exciting today. That's that's not interesting. But I also just really love talking to people who have started their businesses and they're at an early stage in the process. Just so passionate. One of the ladies in the book that I interviewed, she didn't start her business until she was in her 50s. And she was doing um, the bicycles that were delivering things all over London but it wasn't about the bicycles, the way she cares for her riders, the way she cared about her internal culture. So I think they've all just touched me. And Paco doing um, the drag queen restaurant shows, that was incredible. And so I think it's just the resilience of all of these people. It's the sum of all of it that's so special, not one unique interview. But the fact that you can talk to people from all over the world and have instant chemistry is remarkable. I mean, it really, the world is a small place. And that's the mission with the podcast is my, my, my mix is to make sure that at least half the guests are from outside of the U.S. and or even better if they have a multicultural background, just because it's crazy to interview somebody who was an entrepreneur in Japan, didn't speak a word of English but made it their mission to move to San Francisco, learn English so that they could be a tech entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And they are now successful at it. Amazing. Really neat stories along the way. Did anything surprise you? Were there, as you've done these past 199 interviews, was there a, someone answering a question where you said, well, I didn't expect that. Wow. Uh, all, all all the time. I think because you can only know and read so much on paper when you like prep for the interviews. And so all, all the time, I, you just can't, I think it goes back to, like you said, I love a good business story. And so to hear what people have to say, um, interviewed a gentleman, uh, the CEO and founder of MacPaw, uh, in Kiev, Ukraine, and this was at the this was in the early stages. So this was before the Ukraine war. Did not realize one in every ten Apple computers in the world runs MacPaw software. Did not realize that, and he was in in Ukraine. And mm -hmm. um, recently interviewed a tech entrepreneur in, in Poland, and his mission 
is for the world to understand what awesome coders there are in and what the entrepreneurial startup culture is like in Poland. You just wouldn't know that unless you talk to these people. So these people, and, and not just obviously the people that, that you've interviewed, but other successful business owners and CEOs out there, they're not just building a successful business, which is profitable for them and for their employees, but you can build a successful business and make a difference, have an impact, whether it's on your community, whether it's on your country, whether it's on the world, depending on what you do, you can, you can really have an impact on a lot of people just by saying, just by you sitting sit down one day and going, I got this idea and there's a business there. And next thing you know, you know, it's impacting people all around the world. Well, we talk about Mia Donna and their mission to make uh, lab diamonds and what their impact is trying to do. But not only do they make lab diamonds, they take a percentage of the profits and invest back in the community, into the diamond mining communities in South Africa and, and places because they want to not only you know improve what happens in diamond production, they also realize they need to economically support those community communities and have them um, do better. Saddleback Leather just loved that interview with Saddleback Leather because it's this, it's the same thing. Their their mission of supporting the worker and the workforce in Mexico and what they do there is is incredible. It's not only such a huge quality product and such a clear and concise brand. The branding for Saddleback Leather it might not be everybody's cup of tea. But they know their niche market, but they also have a very huge give back story if you go to the website and look. So yeah, the most of these companies that have been founded, certainly five years or less, but I would say, you know, 10 years or less have such a very large social good component. And, you know, the the buyers of today, that's what they all want and they all need. And we, we saw the change, you know, from the boomers to the Gen Xers to the millennials and, and, but the Gen Z just, they're not even going to tolerate anything less, you know, it's just expected. Um, and so, and, you know, longstanding brands can try it, but it just doesn't come across with authenticity as the newly founded brands. And it's very, they don't just want it as a customer. They want it as an employee. That's one of the yeah. things that drives people to want to work for a company and will get them to stay at that company. It's a big, which is an important lesson that, that a lot of, a lot of business owners have learned and a lot of them that haven't learned have seen their workforce. I mean, they don't, they don't have the loyalty of their own employees, which is, which is so important. What, so if you could go back to Allison K. Summers before interview number one and say, Hey, as you launch this podcast, here are a couple of things you really need to think about. Now that you're on episode number 200, what advice would you give yourself when you launch this puppy? There's so much. One, I, I will say to the to the listeners, I tried doing something on a do-it-yourself because Libsyn and, and the other platforms, they they do have so much better do-it-yourself tools today than, than they used to. But I had tried doing it myself. I think I got three episodes out and it was just misery. I had already written a book before I, I found um, Market Domination Bruce. So I had already done one book and I was very interested in being a business creator. And so I had 
met Seth, uh, your owner of Market Domination, at a, a conference. And he had this wonderful opportunity to partner with you all for my podcast production. And I was probably like the first one to the back of the room to be like, I need this because I've tried it before. I failed. I have this vision. I There's no way I can execute it on my own. And I, I signed up to partner with you all. And there's so many people out there today selling podcast services. The market is so saturated. But for me, having one, an accountability partner, two, having a partner to help me get my guests and keep my vision clear. So I would say there was so much I just didn't know about the industry. And people always talk about monetizing podcasts where they talk about, you know, what's your downloads, what's your listeners, what's your... And I, I want to say that can't matter because if you think you're going to go into the podcast business to, to make money off the podcast itself. Very, very few people do. And the people that do, it is like a 60 hour a week job. So you have to do it one. I do it because it's a passion project, uh, which I hope comes through in my conversations with my guests, but I sprinkle them. If I do go out and, and speak or coach or consult, I bring these stories through with me. And that's, what's really important. I didn't know anything about podcast distribution before that I, I know now. If anybody contacts me, I have this lovely uh, little package. That's like a one sheet of the basic things that you should know starting um, podcasting. And I think it's holding your vision, Bruce, is the other thing, because my personal business network is actually really wide. So when people found out I had a podcast, they're all like, oh, I should be on your podcast. And it was really hard to tell people, no, I have a vision for my podcast. And unfortunately, you're not within the guardrails of that of that road. And that was really hard. I have somebody that was my executive coach in the past who actually helped me come up with the framing and the name and everything with this podcast, who I would not let him be a guest until just two months ago, because the timing wouldn't have been right. But now he's got this incredible book. He's on this incredible mission um, and doing marvelous things. And now he's <laughs> at the criteria. So I just say this to anybody who starts a podcast you know, you've got to hold your vision um, because there's integrity in that. And I can go back over 200 episodes and probably pick four that I'd be like, I wish I had never published that episode. There's one I absolutely did not publish. And I had one that guest that was so bad that I wish there was a podcast blacklist someplace <laughs> that I could put his name on because I think nobody should have him as a guest. The podcast hall of shame. The podcast um, Hall of Shame. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. When I, you know, one of the things that I do here at, at, at our place is when a new client comes on board to launch a podcast, I coach them on the interview process. One of the things that's very hard for a lot of people to get is that even though this is your podcast and you grasp it right away, but a lot of people don't, which is that even though this is your podcast, it's not about you. You're driving the bus. Uh, the podcast is the bus. And you're bringing these people on the show so they can tell their stories, so they can share their knowledge. That's what a, a really good podcast is all about. You're right. People will ask me like how to do guest management. And after this long, I've gotten really good at interrupting people. Really good. Like, hold that thought. Let's come back to that. It's also, I think, Bruce, the heart of it is in the guest prep because we always chat really quick before we get started. And I remind them, this is a 25 minute sprint. And mm -hmm. so 
you know, you really can only give two to three minute answers. And if you go longer, I'll jump in and get us pivoted because I want to get these things in a short period. And that's a skill I didn't have when I started at the beginning. I've got one question that I wanted to ask you that involves questions. And the whole, you know, that's what you do all throughout these podcast episodes is ask people questions, but that's part of your business philosophy and your coaching practice is that the start of amazing begins with a question. Expand on that for people. That's a really interesting and unique viewpoint. I really believe in that. And I believe in that in so many ways. I think there's a couple aspects to it. I often say the answer to the question is a different question. We're not always on the right questions, but the start of amazing begins with a question is also on different levels, this idea of I always wanted a life less ordinary and I've had it. I've raised three. I've traveled to all of these places, but I've lived in the same townhouse for 20 years because it's more about the experiences and the people that you meet along the way than the things that you choose to accumulate. And I think the start of amazing begins with a question for business owners, the possibilities and, and being open to seeing what else is out there. I just think that the average business person doesn't do en enough of that. You know, the F or the, what am I missing? What should I be looking for? What would bring me more joy? What would bring my customers more joy? Like there's just so much in that, that if you take a break and sit back and think and ask questions, it could just propel you in a different direction. That is so exciting and so yeah, that's what I currently have on my little LinkedIn <laughs> photo. And don't ask me what compelled me to be like, I'm putting the quote right on my photo. Like you can't miss it. Yep, right there. But, but I do believe in it. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely true because I think Bruce, kind of where we started this conversation, I don't know how I got to where I am. Like, I don't know how that little girl, like how I made it to where I am if it weren't for that ability to dream and always be open to a different future or a different vision. So yeah, thanks for asking that question. Last question. You know a lot of people. You have worked with hundreds and thousands of people and you have clients and colleagues and all of that. What would surprise them to know about you? What would surprise people to know about Allison K. Summers? I'm going to joke and say two things. One, we collect rocks, my kids and I. I have a nice tray of these beautiful rocks that we've collected over the years. I think there's something very grounding in that, you know, the world is pursuing all of these high-tech things and all of this stuff. And my kids and I will want to go, like when we went to Colorado, we're like, we're going to go dig fast. And when I always play two truths and a lie, one of the things I throw in there is one year I spent the summer teaching uh, kids how to do synchronized swimming. I don't know what else would surprise people. I tend to be an open book, Bruce. I'm very passionate about my kids. We joke, and as we talked before we started this football family, I'm happy to talk football with people. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple inside my house. Actually, Bruce, I do have one that people always are surprised about because I'm a very A-type personality. You know, you can't manage business, be, be a CEO driver, carry that vision and not be an A-type personality, except for within the four walls of my own home. I'm very relaxed in my own home. And I think that comes from years of being a single parent. You can't uphold 
everything or want to be an A-type personality in all aspects of your life. I am not that way at home, the way that you see me appear at the office or the way you see me appear in other places. So I know how to relax. Well, you can go relax now. Thank you everyone for listening to the Disruptive CEO Nation podcast, episode number 200. Our guest today has been Allison K. Summers. Thank you for letting us interview you for this very special episode. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. I would just say it's been an absolute joy working with Market Domination for five years. I would not have had the stamina to keep this up if it weren't that your team is just a remarkable support and we're really partners in this. So it's also congratulations to you all for getting to the 200 episodes. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I tell Allison all the time, she's one of our favorite clients and I mean it. I'm not blowing smoke. Well, thank you. Bruce, we always close the podcast with keep your eyes on the future and always be disruptive. See you soon. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>